Hello and welcome to The Intersection. My name is Mark Riley and I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast and those of you who have had a chance to listen to all our podcasts throughout 2020. We're at the end of a very, very trying year and I'm not sure there are five people on planet Earth who will be sad to see this year end. We are also, hopefully, seeing the final act in the drama that is Donald Trump. His latest actions in pardoning 26 people, including four convicted murderers, would be bad enough. But then he confounded even his own supporters in politics. The Congress, and by the way, not just the Republicans in Congress, the Democrats in Congress as well, spent way too much time haggling over a stimulus bill. They finally passed one that would have given Americans in need a $600 one-shot check. It seemed that given that his Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin had personally negotiated the deal, that Trump would sign it into law. Again, I want to emphasize the fact that Democrats were prepared to sign off on this $600 check. Trump, who everybody thought would sign it into law, said no. He demanded that the check be increased to $2,000. He even went so far as to call the lower figure, and I'm quoting him here, measly, which you could argue maybe it was. You can imagine how the Republicans in Congress reacted. Their first order of business was to shoot down an attempt by Democrats in the House to insert that $2,000 payment into the bill by acclamation. Beyond that, they seemed to have no strategy whatsoever to accommodate Trump and justify the $600 payment. Now, it turns out they don't have to. Ever the shyster, and I mean ever the shyster, Donald Trump did a 180 and actually signed the bill. People should note that he did so after some rounds of golf, and now there are reports that say he decided to sign it while playing golf. That's deep if you think about it. Now, many of you may ask yourself, why would Donald Trump do this? Why would he hang his own allies out to drive only to change course on a dime? Since there's been a lot of speculation about this, I'll add to it just a little bit. I think, and there are others who have said this as well, but I think that Donald Trump simply wanted the attention. He wanted it to be all about Donald Trump. His time in office is getting short. I think he may also sense that the public just beyond that base of supporters, are getting tired of his mantra about how he actually won the election. When the New York Post, that's right, one of his closest allies, the New York Post, tells you to give it up, maybe it's time. Now, Donald Trump may want to give up the presidency, but he does not want to give up in any way, shape, or form the attention that comes with being president of the United States. And I think he senses, even before a lot of people in media do, that his attention span, or America's attention span, I should say more properly, is getting short with him. And that as the time passes, as Joe Biden is sworn in and the nation moves on, and hopefully moves forward, that Donald Trump will become a peripheral figure. And that bothers him more than anything else, maybe even more than losing the presidency of the United States. Now, there's a point at which 
All of this becomes too much. It's time for the Democratic Party, or at least Democrats with spine, to start exacting retribution to the Trump enablers in their midst. The latest gambit of which is trying to sue Mike Pence. Can you imagine this? Republicans, Louis Gohmert from Texas, whoever he is and wherever he's from, has decided to sue Mike Pence to force him to acknowledge Trump electors on January 6th when he goes through the normally pro forma exercise of seating the electors. Yes, that is what the latest gambit and probably the last gambit in trying to support Donald Trump has been. Now, that's not going to go anywhere. Trust me, it will go nowhere. But that's okay. They're trying it anyway. Now, how can Democrats react to this? I'll tell you how Democrats ought to react. This is just my opinion. First, they need to react by following the lead of my good friend, Congressman Bill Pasquale of New Jersey, who I've talked to several times on various radio programs. Nancy Pelosi should refuse to seat those Republican members of the House who chose to back, first, the ridiculous Texas lawsuit that got shot down by the Supreme Court, and then again, this latest, again, from Texas, stupid attempt. I know that these people, they're in Congress. They're not going to be criminally charged for any of this, but there must be a price paid for what they did. And what they did, some would say, was act as traitors, was act as people who were trying to enable a coup against the democracy that is the United States of America. Now, maybe I wouldn't go that far, but then again, maybe I would. Uh, If it was me, all right, because see, I like to hit people where it hurts. And I would say, you want to hurt these people? I'll tell you how. I would refuse to consider a single bill sponsored by any of these people, the people that went out on the broad limb for Donald Trump. I would refuse to sit on any committee that any of these people sat on or sit on. I would just simply become a refusenik. Now, if the Democrats need any examples of being a refusenik, all they have to do is look on the other side of the aisle. Republicans did it during Barack Obama's presidency. Republicans got away with mollifying the clown president because they thought there would be no consequence. They need to fear Democrats, again, Democrats with spine, progressive Democrats, just like they feared Donald Trump. The leadership of the Democratic Party needs to go even further. That's right, I said it. They need to counter any crazed move by Donald Trump between now and January 20th. Impossible, you say? You've already seen one with this Gomert lawsuit against Mike Pence. He didn't sue Pelosi. He didn't sue the squad. He didn't sue Katie Porter. He sued the vice president who happens to be a member of his own party. Where there is a will among Democrats, there must be a way. Punish anyone who would dare challenge the electoral vote count on January 6th. That includes this clown show with Louis Gohmert. Biden got 80 million votes. That's President-elect Biden. 80 million votes. 
Those who turned out November 3rd deserve to be represented properly by those who put them in office. There's also, of course, the important business of making good on the promises that Democrats made to the American people. And this is very, very important. We need not lose track of this, lose sight of this. America is in a very deep hole. Who, who put us there? Right. I'll leave that to you. There's a pandemic still ravaging large parts of the country and a vaccine that must reach people before it gets worse and more people die. Make no mistake, the cost of those vaccines should not, repeat, should not be borne by working poor people. Keep in mind that the working poor includes those who have put their lives on the line, working in nursing homes, driving buses throughout the pandemic. Already, there are stories about vaccine diversions to private suppliers in New York. Testing and vaccinations must be at the top of the new administration's priority list. Joe Biden and the Congress must ensure that the pain felt by individual Americans as well as small businesses, that pain must be mitigated and mitigated quickly. That means putting people back to work. This has been back and forth and there has been a back and forth about whether you can keep people safe while reopening the economy at the same time. This is kind of like chewing gum and walking. That will be a major challenge for Joe Biden. And make no mistake about it, I hope he and the rest of the Democrats are up to the task. As we end 2020, is there reason for optimism about the new year? I'd like to know what you think. Leave a comment on my Facebook page, or you can email me at mark at markreillymedia.com. That's mark at markreillymedia.com. Up next, the nightmare in Nashville and efforts to find out why it happened. This is The Intersection. Welcome back to The Intersection. My name is Mark Riley, and thanks again for listening to this final podcast of 2020. By now, most people know about the huge explosion that took place Christmas morning in Nashville, Tennessee. There were no casualties except for the alleged bomber, a guy by the name of Anthony Warner. So far, no one seems to know what drove this man, described as a loner by his neighbors and his family, to do such a thing. There are a number of bizarre twists to this story, the most bizarre of which I'll get to in a minute, but there were twists that included reports that there were warnings coming from the RV that an explosion was coming, as well as the playing of Petula Clark's 1964, I believe it is, hit downtown prior to the blast. However, 
that hasn't stopped people. All right. The fact that nobody knows why this guy did it. And, you know, the fact that he died in the explosion. So maybe no one will ever know why he did it. There's speculation about his problems with 5G and technology, et cetera, et cetera. And he had some technological background, but nobody really knows. But that doesn't matter to some people. Some people decided to focus on this bombing as a left-wing conspiracy. So now we have the curious specter of virologists, people who said masks don't work, fire Anthony Fauci, elections experts, Biden stole the 2020 vote, and now they've become criminologists. The explosion was some form of left-wing conspiracy. A raft of posts on social media have alleged that AT&T, the building adjacent to the blast, had a contract to do a forensic audit, audit, that is, of Dominion voting machines. Imagine that. They managed to put Dominion in this. The posts also attempt to link former Clinton and Obama appointees to the blast through their affiliation with a couple of private equity firms. They also allege that one of the principals in one of the equity firms is Joe Biden's brother-in-law. Now, you know, this stuff would be absolutely comical if it wasn't so widely shared. But just a little research would reveal that AT&T didn't even get the forensic audit contract. It went to a firm from Texas. Not only that, Joe Biden's sister is married to someone with the same last name, Owens, as the part owner of Dominion. But it's not him. What's amazing to me is how quickly this misinformation spreads and how people, once they get a hold of it, latch onto it and grab it for dear life. In the face of proof that these allegations are nonsense, in the face of proof, all right, I don't know what they expect. I guess maybe they expect Joe Biden's sister to produce a marriage license or something. But in the face of proof that the guy, Jack Owens, who is the wife of Joe Biden's sister, is not the same as Stephen Owens, who's the guy who's part owner of Dominion, they refuse to believe any of it. As far as they're concerned, the initial premise that Dominion voting machines somehow were being shipped to Nashville into that AT&T building and run through with some kind of supercomputer. This is, uh, by the way, this is some straight up Sidney Powell stuff in case you're wondering, but this is what they're saying. It's absolutely whack. And people I know personally believe this, believe in the face of, no, it wasn't AT&T that had that forensic audit contract. AT&T doesn't do those kinds of forensic audits. Audit. No, prove it. Prove that they didn't get it. Well, you can prove it by contacting the uh, organization that did get it. I believe it's Allied Services Group or something along those lines. And they're based in Texas. Now, what do Texas and Tennessee have in common? They both went big for Donald Trump. So why would anybody try and sabotage anything in either one of those two states? And there's people who, despite the fact that they found remains of this guy, Anthony Warner, remains, 
like bones. Despite that, and by the way, those bones have been linked to him by DNA. But they still said, no, 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 no. You know, you can't prove to me that he did died in that explosion. It is absolutely, absolutely whack. But you see, there's a larger issue here. It's an issue that goes back even before Donald Trump's presidency. Over the past decade or so, people on both sides of the political divide have used violence when it suited their purpose and had sympathizers figure out ways to justify it. Now, from my perspective as a progressive, I think that the right wing has done it a lot more than the left wing, but let's say for the sake of argument, it's both sides. In this case, it doesn't appear that the Nashville explosion is anything other than a singular act by a man whose principal belief, that is, is a problem with 5G. At some point further down the road, apparently, people of goodwill are going to, and I'm talking about on both sides of the aisle. I'm not just talking to, quote, liberals. And conservatives need to get in on this as well. Step in and de-escalate the foolishness. See, because there's something coming around the bend that an awful lot of people are not quite aware of just yet. And let me run it by you real, real quick. In the UK, every year at Christmas time, Queen Elizabeth, the monarch, gives a speech. It's called the Queen's Speech. <laughs> Makes perfect sense, right? So she gives a speech and she gave a message of hope. It was an uplifting speech. Not long afterward, one of the television channels over here, Channel 4, did a parody of the Queen's speech with a woman sitting at a desk who looked exactly like Queen Elizabeth and really just was spouting all kinds of stuff and ended with a TikTok dance on top of a desk. So, you know, obviously it was, you know, parody. Obviously it was not the Queen. Now, over here, people... Uh, and I should say, over here in the UK where I am, people said it was disrespectful, people slammed it, people this, people that. I didn't get all that, maybe because I'm an American, or a Yank, as they like to call me here. What interests me is the fact that you can make a complete, and they call this deep fake. You can make an exact replica of Queen Elizabeth with a voice close enough for most people, I think, to mistake it for her. A perfect copy. And get away with it. Now, this was on the order of parody, but what happens the day people start using this technology for malicious purposes? You don't think people will try it? I got a bridge in Brooklyn I would love to sell you. At some point, there has to be a de-escalation, the de-escalation of the beliefs that lead people to arm themselves, storm state capitals, and in one case, plot to kidnap the governor of a state. That would be Michigan. Years from now, long time from now, 
all this will look like a bad dream to a better, more just America. At least, I hope it does. Finally, looking forward, not just to 2021, but beyond. This is The Intersection. mentioned in previous episodes that in my generation, many people, and my generation, of course, well, I shouldn't say of course, some of you may not know this, but it's the baby boom generation. And we have a habit of looking in the rear view mirror, that is looking back on the substance of our lives and sort of transferring whatever it was in our lives before to our current reality. It's totally understandable, especially for those of us who have a good deal to look back on and a good deal to look back on with fondness. We remember those high notes, those times we wish we could live again, but we can't. I hate to say this. I hate to, you know, burst anybody's bubble, but we can't go back. We can't live that life. And I I have to say, I've done some crazy things in my life. I've done some things that I am extraordinarily proud of. And everybody, I think, at one point or another has done something that they're not all that proud of. But I have to say, even though the future is the province of the young, I, for one, if I'm going to make a New Year's resolution, I've decided to leave my past behind to the greatest extent possible. 2021 is fraught with uncertainty. This much I know. However, I feel like I must look forward for the sake of those I love and those I've been close to throughout the years. I have to believe that we'll beat COVID-19, the scourge of 2020. I also have hope that politicians will elevate their game after the ugliness of the past four years and create an agenda that does the most good for the largest number of people. I fervently hope that people can hug, that people can shake hands, have breakfast, lunch, and dinner together without fear. That's my future. That's what I hope my future will be. I want small local businesses to survive and yes, thrive as people re-experience the joy of shopping local. Hopefully, The future will herald a new environmental awareness that takes the first step toward taking climate change seriously. I guess it's called looking forward without the Happy New Year, everybody. The executive producer of The Intersection is Ms. Kim Jack Riley. Music is by Bella Chipperfield, the mighty Joe Gibbs, Peter Cree, and Bill Evans. Until we meet again, please. Be well.